Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Data Engineering Weekly Radio. Uh, we took a short break. Uh, Ashwin been traveling a lot, meeting a lot of uh, data practitioners on the ground. So we take like a week of break right now. So uh, now we are back. We are back with discussing Data Engineering Weekly Edition 132. It's been a pause forward because we kind of lag a little bit. So we wanted to kind of discuss about what is happening in the latest side of it. So that's why you see some kind of a, a lift in the um, in the editions that we are discussing. And as usual, we have Ashwin with us. Hi, Ashwin. Hey, Anand. Hey, everyone. Uh, like Anand said, I've been traveling. I think I did eight cities over the last two to three weeks uh, in US, in Europe, and in India. A lot of learnings on the ground in terms of what's happening um, in the enterprises, largely uh, while they are slow to adopt the technology movement. Uh, there are a lot of lot of interesting things happening, right? So uh, I think some of the topics that we'll discuss today, data quality is important. Uh, uh, focus on uh, lake houses is, is gaining a lot of steam. Uh, open table formats uh, is, is becoming a, a, a central point of discussion. And a lot of new designs are basically going through a Delta iceberg or a hoodie kind of a, a open table format. Uh, as part of their implementation, refactoring some of their old legacy file formats. Uh, so, yeah, I think the, the theme has been something that me and Anand have been discussing for the last couple of weeks. That's essentially what uh, is, a, is, a, is an observation, but I think it's getting amplified. Uh, and just to give context, right, and just to uh, divert from there uh, into the first topic of the day uh, is data quality, right? Uh, we've been sharing that a lot our experiences and the author's experiences as well around quality observability, uh, contracts, mesh products. I think uh, we, we are at a time where people are having unlimited resource, unlimited compute power, uh, ele elevated snowflake bills or the cloud costs, uh, but they're not able to still make actionable insights because the trust is not there in the data, right? So how do you establish trust? Anand, with that, we should we should take one of your favorite topics and 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 mine as well. Let's jump. Not a week goes by without talking that. I believe like even if I don't want to talk about data contract, I cannot really escape from talking about data contract. Um, I think it's a talk of the town. Uh, and the other part is the other important part is it's it is what is missing today, right? A collaborative contract based platforms to right. solve. Uh, things on the left-hand side. Yeah, the first article that we're going to discuss about is on DPT model contracts, like importance and pitfalls um, uh, by the author Roman Oreo. I think it's a very interesting uh, channel. Like, I mean, this is like DPT and I've announced that, you know, we're going to you know, adopt data contract as a first-class semantics in the data transformation layer. And they kind of... Um, down the spec of like why this is needed. I think DPT also kind of talked about a little elaborate on that. Um, and schema breaking changes, data quality checks, like lack of data quality. Like, uh, there's been a bigger concern in the data transformation layer. Um, so this article in specific is kind of talking about the first part is talking about why DPT model contracts are important. I think um, you know, the author's talking about why data quality and consistency is important, enhancing predictability and reducing the ambiguity, uh, you know, reducing the errors and preventing propagation. There's a lot of good things about how DBT kind of done that. 
Um, what, is, what is your general take on that, uh, Ashwin, on, on DVDs? Uh, I think, like you say, Anand, when I think you've been, you've been an active evangelist in this particular area as well around how to build contracts uh, uh, with your schemata as well. Uh, I think, I think it's, it's a it, it's 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 a fantastic space to be in. Uh, this particular blog uh, written by Raman uh, talks about the importance of contracts, uh, importance of how you approach that from a DBT lifecycle perspective, uh, and how uh, contract specifications helps you to avoid the bad data from entering. Right. So I think uh, there are two parts to it. Right. One, you can definitely enforce schema level constraints. Uh, uh, at the, while the data is getting inserted, uh, but during during the code processing itself, right? So how can you have a more flexible uh, a markup language type uh, uh, specification defined? I think that's that's what the DBT contracts is all about, right? So uh, yeah. the, that flexibility uh, to add constraints, the flexibility to add what you would expect on top of it, uh, the blog is quite detailed. It talks about what is possible, what's not possible. Um, how do you, uh, what's, what's the limitation if you're using a lot of views, what, what will happen? But it covers in general the full life cycle and the importance of reliable data pipelines and how we should use that. Yeah, the thing is like kind of very attractive to me to this article is uh, the reason why I kind of featured in Data Engineering Weekly is that I talk about pitfalls of DBT model contracts and examples of it. Uh, I found it's very interesting. Like I, I think one thing I really liked about this is like kind of a very non-vendor uh, opinionated. This article is like you now uh, there's been DBT model came in and like you know SQL Mesh kind of saying like oh this is really wrong. Uh, there's like vendors having a different takes on those things when it comes from a from a data practitioner side of it that way you can gives a good opinion and like a very good way to contact about it. Totally. I think uh, the problems are even with a DVD model or a contract is what if you have thousand models? What if yeah. what if you're producing more than uh, than how much you can actually monitor? Uh, right. And the second part is yeah you define a YAML specification, but how do you collaboratively work between uh, yeah. your consumers and your producers, right? Uh, in defining what what can be expected and, and, and defining that contract once, uh, right? The reinforcement of it, the collaboration of it, particularly in large enterprise projects, uh, which seem a very bit challenging, right? So how do you think, uh, Anand, we should address that part? Uh, what, any recommendations on that? Um, I think the key piece of data contract is a collaboration. It is it, like data transformation or data creation is a very collaborative work. Uh, I think what we have created over the period, like, you know, um, pretty good tools and education around what it means to create the data. But yeah. we have never uh, invented or, you know, discussed a lot about how do we enable collaboration. Yeah. I think I think that's where the key part of it, in my opinion. Um, for example, like software development is a very collaborative work. How do we solve that? Jira is is a Jira is a collaborative tool. Like you know, even right. though you kind of you like dislike, whatever you your take on that, it is yeah. right. So and then like okay, I need to push some code to production. I need a collaborative layer where it is GitHub. You know, fundamentally, if you think GitHub as a code repository, the way GitHub works is is a, is actually a collaborative layer. 
you know you need to have somebody to approve you need to create you can create your own workflow you can you know systematically enable a collaboration between those things right these are the critical components uh, that enable what i call is as the industrial scale software development and real question is like what is the what is the tool what are the set of the tools that are going to enable an industrial scale software development if you take if you take data creation data value creation it's a typical typical value stream mapping you know somebody has to create a raw data putting that data in here you have to mash different uh, components together and then uh, you have to produce a value it is nothing different from a typical uh, factory uh, way of working right like if you are if you are manufacturing certain things uh, you have to source some raw materials and you have to refine it you have to transport to somewhere else there's a supply chain problem there then you have to fine tune the product and then finish the product and deliver to the market essentially yeah. so the the data engineering problem is exactly the same as as a typical manufacturing uh, event i think uh, some we we lack in the industry a holistic solution to enable uh, moving the supply chain faster right? yeah i think i think that's one of the biggest factors that's that i think people who are listening to this uh, should definitely read the blog uh, yeah. quite quite quite, quite elaborative uh, covers most of the details but i think you should also explore schemata uh, that that's an that's on the open source project that anand is publishing as well so i think uh, explore that uh, and i think do share your views on how to implement data contracts and how are you implementing contracts uh, in your organization as well yeah as usual if you wanted to talk talk about data contract or anything uh, you know just feel free to dm me or ashwin uh, you know we're happy to share our um, you know understanding about data contract schemata or whatever you want to talk about it we're happy to jump on the call and discuss about it perfect and that's a good segue into the second topic i think uh, that was in most of the meetings that i've been having with people of late uh, linked houses event streaming platforms uh i think the world revolves around four or five topics only most of the weeks and uh, it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a common pattern a common theme uh, that that i've been observing right uh, anand how about you yeah i i think it is an eventual reality uh, there is very interesting fact about like the open lake open format of storing the data and retrieving the data and interoperability among the data whether you are going with a property solution uh like a databricks is the one integrated solution or apache hudi kind of an open open systems i think people figured it out is like it is much you know efficient to store and retrieve on a scale that company is kind of growing and especially the um the amount of data that each and every company now sort of like what it used to be a google's problem now every company's problem right the amount of data that we are gathering uh, amount of features that companies are gathering so uh it's a very interesting uh, trend and it comes from instacart i was talking about how instacart adds modularized data pipeline with lake house architecture and spark very yeah. interesting uh been a very big users of snowflake now they're moving away from snowflake to uh, this one it's an interesting interesting trend to watch totally i think uh, in an earlier blog and an earlier data engineering weekly session we did share the importance of using 
lake houses as well as the open table format this is an implementation blog uh, which talks about how instacart went about implementing uh, the uh, the logics uh, how, how they refactored uh, their old kinesis with uh, lake house plus uh, spark based implementation right so it's it's pretty interesting in terms of how they've implemented it as well Right. They, they're talking about, uh, you know, reducing the AWS cost because, you know, uh, uh, I think I think the fundamental thing is like if you're adopting something else, either you're not optimizing the Snowflake uh, cost or you're optimizing your cloud cost. Yeah, totally. Uh, Major role in the architectural design. I think totally, right? So, see, there is an out-of-the-box service provided. Obviously, yes, it's going to be easier to use. Uh, so it comes at a cost, uh, but it it would not be a lot more flexible at times. So that's that's the uh, that's that's the challenge, right? Uh, yeah. And the limitations in terms of the file format supported when it comes to uh, Kinesis Firos, uh, which is their events even streaming thing, right? So while S three yeah. supports all the open table formats, uh, particularly around data lake implementations, uh, the Kinesis Firos did not support everything right so it, it's still restricted to csv json and parquet format so that's 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 a limitation uh, clearly particularly when people do a lot of heavy reading uh for analytical processing so uh and that's why they jump onto an open uh, table format right easier to switch over helps you abstract uh the storage from the choice of engine that you will use uh particularly if you're choosing something like iceberg or delta Right. So that's 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 the, some of the primary reasons. Again, there are technical engineering reasons here as well. Uh, the flexibility, the SLA that's required, the pile size that they are uh, dealing with. So there are the specifications that uh, the blog covers. Strongly recommend you to read that as well. So that, those are more on engineering specific, but a high level summary uh, is the mood from 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 an from an architecture that was using Kinesis. Uh, Firos to uh, refactor that to an open table format, uh, leveraging uh, Spark. Uh, obviously, yes, they have to replace Kinesis with something. So that obviously, Kafka is there, uh, which is running um, and implemented over a Delta Day. Right? Yeah. I think yeah, a couple of patterns kind of very interesting in this article from Instagram. One is like, um, they're talking about modularizing pipeline with Apache Spark. The code even example like being chained like you know, SQL code, and then they kind of showcasing like you know how they kind of modularize the Spark SQL, they still use SQL, but it kind of Spark SQL and with a wrapper on top of data frame and like much more modularized the way kind of doing this one. Common table expression in SQL is, is kind of one uh right, you know, one way to get this modularization. I think this is a larger problem. Um I think many people trying to uh, a fight against the SQL, I think the major problem always is like the modularity, right? Like how can we decompose right. the problem, test it, and then rebuild from the ground to up, which is very easy to do it in the programming language perspective, but not necessarily in a SQL perspective. That's a, that's a first pattern I found out very, very interesting through that one. Uh, and the second pattern is that incremental event processing. This is kind of very interesting to me is, you know, the first line they're kind of mentioning in this thing, processing a continuous stream, continuous stream of data with a large batch execution is yeah. not a human. 
streaming provide advantages over batch processing in terms of the latency, scalability, and resource utilization. Yeah. I think this is a very, this, I, I think more and more, I completely agree with that. And like, it's, I always say, like, you know, it makes sense to process like 30 minutes data and then you cumulatively do the aggregation as long as the metrics that you are computing is additive metrics. And, you know, if it is non additive, you cannot do any, you know, incremental processing anyway, unless I'm clever way to do that one. Like, it's easy to process the 13 minutes data versus 24 hours data. Uh, you know, you will have much more predictability and reliability of your data processing pipeline. Now, the fundamental question is like, how does the lake cost formats like Delta Lake, Hoodie, and Iceberg going to adopt uh, the incremental data processing as a first class citizen? I know for a fact, Hoodie does that pretty well. I think that's a very... Yeah, that's a differentiator also. Differentiator for Hoodie to that one. Yes. Now, the real question is like, how far could you going to take it out and say like, hey, this is a way you should process the data. And this is what, uh, you know, it, it, it also involved not only the technical complexities, but also like technology details, like, but also like, okay, what is the data format? Like, so what are the data modeling techniques that can be adopted in incremental data pipeline, like kind of educating the large consumer base and building this whole structure around that? I think... That is the that is going to define the success of Lakehouse formats in general. What do you think, Ashwin? Totally, I think uh, uh, can't agree enough. Uh, and the blog towards the end, right, is quoting the author Das as well in terms of how the Lakehouse architecture has streamlined the storage and consumption and reducing the cost as well, right? So uh, I think it's a it's a common theme. I would say almost everybody would carefully evaluate or have already started evaluating and uh, and refactoring some of their modules to an open table format. And it's mm -hmm. just for a capture from you. It's 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 yeah. perfect. The only thing is around even streaming and uh, and structured streaming over Spark, uh, which table format to choose, something that you need to understand uh, and choose what's right for you. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that's a good segue for the, this, the other article that we wanted to kind of talk about. I think we can touch a little bit on that, like uh, from Akshay Roy about credit saves on talking about using Jira to automate updates in addition of a blue table. I found this very, very fascinating. Uh, the, the the concept of like, okay, you can create a Jira for a table change and I can actually go and automate the table change. That was like a very interesting uh, way of approaching uh, the workflow supply chain management side of it. Um, have you seen any kind of cases in your in your experience, like similar aspect of it, or like? Yeah. So uh, yes and no. Uh, when they start, no. Then uh, for 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 more mature organizations, uh, uh, where there are where there are data teams that are specifically meant to do this, uh, they, I'm, I'm I'm not able to remember the right term here. Uh, that was used by Amen in one of his team is called like that at Akamai. Uh, they have a tag team, something like a tiger team or whatnot, right? So their job is to ensure they're able to do that. Uh, but the author here talks about automating things, right? So it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not a manual effort. It's completely automated. How 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 they are approaching this entire code change? Uh, how they are leveraging uh, the glue crawler? Uh, the problems with glue crawler? Right and uh, and all of that. So 
that I have seen people use a similar pattern uh, in some of the projects, uh, but I don't remember if somebody has documented it really well, but not with Jira, uh, right? So definitely there. Yeah, totally. I've seen this kind of pattern of Jira automation, like in in uh, you know Jira ops uh, in the DevOps side of it and IT operation side of it a lot. Uh, it's there to see something on the data engineering side of it, not in the similar um, automations perspective here. Yeah, correct. Uh, the interesting part is uh, they did try the the, the uh, single massive script approach, right? Mm -hmm. Now uh, with the staggered approach of. Uh, people open up a ticket uh, and 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 uh, how the crawler acts uh, as well. I think they kind of streamline uh, the the entire process in my point of view, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's it's a step by step process as opposed to a one script goes and updates everything. Right. Yeah. Totally. I think the last interesting article about uh, is the extensive guide for server site tracking. Um, I think it's all close to kind of data creation. That's one of the areas that I'm very passionate about it. Uh, yeah, I was about to actually pull you on this, right? You write a lot of articles around server-side tracking uh, as and very close to event tracking systems as well. Uh, based on your understanding, right, uh, what's the problem here between client-side and server-side uh, in, in the context of data privacy today, right? Yeah. Uh, how, how how do you see uh, people should approach this particular problem statement and how do data teams play a role in this? Because usually, uh, my observation on this, when it comes to tracking, it's usually the request comes from marketing or growth teams, right? And right. The engineering teams are like, and the engineering teams, largely, not even the data engineering teams are, are the ones creating the client side, tracking codes and developing all of that. I would like to pull your brains and take your experience on this. Yeah, totally. I think one of the problems that the author is kind of highlighting in this extensive server-side tracking here is it's true because like after the developers are not involved in like what kind of event that we should track and then educating all those things, developers do track events in the scope of an application, whether the application is working correct or not. Use some log or edited out or something like that to do that one. But business operation is kind of completely different. It is it is a different context. The reason is like the growth and the sales and the product, the way they see the data in a very different, different way. And to kind of it is very hard for an engineer to go. Uh, and then if any system that we kind of design that engineers go and pull the requirement from all the other different stakeholders it's bound to failure, you know, uh, because different stakeholders have a different expectation or a different view about what kind of event they should gather or not. So I think in on all practical way that uh, development will not be involved in these cases is because it makes sense because that's not the primary focus. The, the, the stakeholders has to come across and do more work uh, and to understand what developers can deliver their set of it. Um, but the, the challenge with the front end even in specific that you're asking about, one is like number one reason is like um the the speed of change management. If it is a web application, the release cycle is different between uh, the, the entire software development lifecycle itself is different for developing your mobile application like iOS and Android right. versus the web application. So, so if you found something, some issues there, you can quickly uh, roll out some changes for a web applications, whereas 
uh, you know, iOS and Android, it's not very easy to do that. So it makes sense to track more on the server side rather than um, in, in the client side of it. The second aspect is that the client side events can be easily tampered. You know, you can spoof in, you can send whatever the molecular event that you wanted to send that, where a server side events are delivered from your server and you can have much more authentic, uh, you know, authentication and security access around that. So, I mean, uh, it's a general term, like if you're working in some enterprises and if you have to report some number that is kind of auditable, you cannot really rely on the client side events. You have to depend upon your server side event purely because the trustability and uh, reliability uh, and, and the regulatory requirement perspective, essentially. I think these are the bigger challenges I feel with the front end events. Correct. Uh, but I think server side tracking is becoming more popular in each space, right? Just to handle uh, all the regulatory requirements. Obviously, as yes, you don't get the full data, but then uh, server side is is what I have seen a lot of lot of companies take up, particularly if, if they are restricted on the regulatory side. Right. I mean, it is a balance, right? Like, for example, if you are developing a user experience where ma major user action doesn't need to send any user activity. Uh, back to the server, like you know, you're you're filling a form and just you know, navigating to different different things, and you know, there's kind of a funnel way kind of user use that one. So in those uh, kind of an applications, it's hardly hard to rely only on server side event. You will get only uh, your granularity will get lost. Uh, so uh, if you are looking at a kind of, oh, I want to do a user funnel analytics, like how do we want the users to do that one uh, in a non-trustable way, not like an authentic way to kind of making a decision out of, uh, you know, um, any, any product decisions or any financial monetary decision that you want to take out of it, I wouldn't recommend to go with the front-end events, but front-end events can give you a lot of glimpse, like a lot of in-depth view, uh, especially the funnel analytics of the user journey. It would be very interesting to see that one. Yeah, totally. Uh, and that that dates back to the article that we just discussed earlier, right? Uh, how to build streaming pipelines because when it comes to tracking and all that, it's all streaming most of the time. If you yeah. if you if you want to, depending again, depending on your use case, you can you can pretty much comfortably do a batch. But we are seeing a lot more real time near real time use cases getting built up. Right? So that yeah. that you should uh, while this particular blog largely talks about how server site tracking is implemented and all that. Uh, I think you should also read in context of the previous blog to understand uh, even tracking now that it's definitely picking up uh, and, and refer to the Instacart blog as well and how it applies for data teams. Yeah, totally. Potential architecture that we can follow. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. yeah that's great. I think Wonderful discussion, Ashwin. Um, great articles. Great. Thank you so much for the authors to kind of put together uh, incredible insights to our readers. Uh, always happy to discuss uh, more on that. Um, you have any parting thoughts or like any experience that you want to share with your your strip? Any glimpse to the to our readers? Uh, no. Yeah, I think you pretty much summarized. Uh, and then, uh, I think credits to the authors who are contributing. Uh, and all the hard work that goes behind uh, behind the efforts. Uh, the blogs are basically a reflection of the hard work that has gone within their companies, which will have taken anywhere from three to three months to one year. So yeah, thank you for contributing. And I think thank you, Anand, for, for taking those blogs uh, as part of your engineering weekly, right? So 
Awesome. Until see you next week. Take care. Bye. Thanks a lot, everyone. Good, wonderful weekend. Thank you. Bye.